Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to gather with you again to worship our great God and Savior who is incomparably worthy, immeasurably great. And today, our text, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, if you would turn there, Song of Solomon, chapter 5. If you are visiting with us this morning, welcome. It is right between Ecclesiastes and Isaiah, the Song of Solomon. Our text this morning, chapter 5, verse 9. The daughters of Jerusalem speak, What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? Let us go to the Lord. O Lord, would you open our eyes this morning? Would you strengthen our hearts to consider the surpassing excellencies, the marvels, the perfections, the worth, the greatness, the sweetness, gentleness, and love of our bridegroom. Make your word effective to us this morning, O Lord. Stir your bride to lay hold of you, to rest in you, to love and seek you with greater affection, greater communion, greater intimacy, Lord, as you so desire. Help us this morning, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I have studied and taught and preached the Song of Solomon for over a decade. I have read more commentaries and watched more sermons on these eight chapters than any other book of the Bible probably combined. And now I tell you that this morning because I have never been so painfully aware that I still stand on the shore of the ocean of how immense and immeasurable the love of Christ is for his bride as communicated in this song. And were I to spend the rest of my life studying these eight chapters, I would barely get my feet wet. Brothers and sisters, in one way, this morning is an invitation from me to you to search out what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ for his bride as communicated in the Song of Solomon. And in a more profound way, brothers and sisters, this song 
is God's invitation to you to experience intimacy with him. In what chapter one, verse one calls the song of songs. That is the very best song that God has for his people. This morning, God invites you into that intimate knowledge of himself, which Jesus Christ calls eternal life itself. In John 17, verse 3. Our purpose this morning, brothers and sisters, is to further grasp the incomparable greatness, the immeasurable worth of Christ as pictured in this bride's seeking her bridegroom. This bride, brothers and sisters, in verse 8, seeks to bind the daughters of Jerusalem by a solemn oath, saying this, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick with love. The daughters respond to her charge with these words, our text, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved, that you would thus adjure us. And it is this question, brothers and sisters, which confronts us this morning as, well, what is your beloved more than another beloved? What is so great about your Jesus anyway? And it is this question, brothers and sisters, which the Song of Solomon chapter 5 answers so decisively, so transformatively, so irreversibly, that if you leave here today without your beloved, blame the weakness of this preacher, but spare yourself no grief until you have him. Let us examine two answers that the Song of Solomon chapter 5 gives to this question. In verses 5 through 8, we have the bride's example of the worth of her beloved. And then in verses 9 through 16, we have the bride's exaltation in the worth of her beloved. Her example and her exaltation in his worth. Church, What is your beloved more than another beloved? Now, as we go through this chapter, brothers and sisters, notice first that Solomon places the greatest sin of the song immediately after the wedding night. In Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, the bridegroom speaks, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb comb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. If consummated their union, and then, as it were, God himself blesses their marriage, saying, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk, 
with love. And then, brothers and sisters, in the very next verse, without a breath in between, the bride speaks. Verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garments. Must I put them on? I had bathed my feet. Must I now soil them? And that is very telling about the Christian life, brothers and sisters. So often our greatest failures, weaknesses, and sins are coupled with our greatest victories, strengths, and joys. Moses failed on the very edge of the promised land. Isaiah, uh, Elijah called down fire from heaven and then fell into a deep depression unto his very death. David brought peace to Jerusalem and then committed mur murder and adultery. And out of her greatest joy and intimacy, this bride fails to open to her bridegroom. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Mm. Brothers and sisters, what is your beloved more than another beloved? Here, the bride first spurns her beloved's love and treats him as common and worthless. And yet there was once a time which she would give anything for their eyes to meet. But now his tender addresses are an inconvenience, a burden. How quickly love grows cold, brothers and sisters. Has your beloved ever come to you to give you his love and grace and joy and communion with himself and you turned him away? How has the Spirit stirred up your own heart? Maybe at 1, at 2, at 3 a.m. in the morning. And we went back to bed. I have work tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, if our spouse or friend wakes us in the middle of the night with something that they're wrestling with, do we turn them away? Has our brother or sister in Christ ever come to us in real need? And what is our response? Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. Must I, Lord Jesus, must I? What is our beloved more than another beloved? How does our bridegroom respond here? Does he treat us like everyone else? Or like perhaps we treat others? Verse 4. My beloved put his hand to the latch 
to the doorknob. And my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. Brothers and sisters, this bridegroom draws yet nearer still. Her heart is stirred within her, and repentance is birthed inside of her. She arises and finds what? Tokens of his grace and kindness. His calling card, I have come for you. I have come for you, but you did not open to me. His loving presence upon the handles of the door, and yet he himself has departed. Now, brothers, let us be stirred. Are we this gentle? Are we this gracious with our wives? Do we live with them in understanding ways? But now, brothers and sisters, here's where the bride's example of the worth of her beloved begins. We see now who is her beloved truly to her. What will she do in his absence? Verse 6, I went back to my bed and moped. He could never truly love me. No, brothers and sisters, verse 6, I justified myself because he shouldn't come to me in the middle of the night. No, brothers and sisters, but how about, I went to work harder to earn his love again. No, that is not where this bridegroom runs, brothers and sisters. He'll come back, so why bother trying? No, brothers and sisters, see the worth of her beloved in what it cost this bride to seek him. Verse 6, truly now. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed him when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. We might say, when he came in great love to me, when he came, I spurned his affection and I died inside when I had realized what I had traded away that evening. The watchmen found me, verse 7, as they went about in the city, they beat me They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Brothers and sisters, how does she respond to her lover's gracious advantage, advantage, excuse me, advances to her? She repents and she believes, brothers and sisters. She turns to her beloved from her sinful way. She runs to the only one who can fix this. But no, not to a mere fixer, to her beloved, who loves her even as she is. 
with a love that is unable to be estimated. Market brothers and sisters, a major point of Christian maturity is how quickly we move from defending ourselves, from justifying ourselves, to repentance and faith. 2 Corinthians 7.11 says, Foresee what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Brothers and sisters, it is in this zeal that she goes to seek her beloved. She takes to the streets in our text, and after having sought him, she seeks him still. In our text this morning, it says the watchmen find her. And the violence in this text leads many commentators to put the entire chapter in the context of a dream or else a nightmare. It costs this bride to seek her beloved. Oh, his worth. Oh, the worth laying hold of him. Regardless, brothers and sisters, she seeks on through the night. I remember your name in the night, O Lord. At midnight I rise to praise you. I rise before dawn. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. Seven times a day I praise you. Psalm 119. And rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went away to a desolate place and there he prayed. He communed with his beloved father. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What is our beloved more than another beloved, brothers and sisters? Is the worth of our beloved demonstrated in our pursuit of him? Does anyone find me in the streets at 2 a.m.? As in this text, broken, beaten, as it were, half naked in my pursuit of him, looking for my beloved. Brothers and sisters, at what point do we just go home? Well, I tried. I prayed. But he was not to be found. What are we okay with? in our Christian culture, brothers and sisters? And was this bride okay with that? Were these psalmists okay with that? If we leave here without our beloved brothers and sisters, aren't we to weep and howl and mourn at the miseries that have come upon us? The worth of the beloved. Brothers and sisters, everybody likes to talk about contentment, contentment, contentment. But I would still, with modest apology to the Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs, like someone to write a book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Discontentment. The Rare Jewel 
of Christian discontentment. I know nothing of this beloved brothers and sisters. I may have heard of him with the hearing of the ear, but there is so much more. There is so much more. No, brothers and sisters, according to our text this morning, the thrust of this bride's life is seeking him, and she will not take no for an answer. Song of Solomon 3, 4 testifies, When I found him whom my soul loves, and another search she had for him, I held him and would not let him go. Reminds me of another account in Genesis. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. And Jacob said to him, no, I will not let you go until you have blessed me. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You have said to me, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. When David penned that psalm, brothers and sisters, he was in a desert. And he knew what that dry tongue felt like, but that's not what his soul thirsted for. What is our beloved more than another beloved? To me, this song puts to death the conditional kind of love I have for my God. I'll love you, God, as long as you meet my demands. This bride has nothing. And more than that, she wants nothing apart from her beloved. Remember in Exodus 33, the Lord threatened to send an angel to bring the Israelites into the promised land, but would not bring them in himself. Consider Moses' response. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. No, Lord, you keep your blessings. You keep your gifts. You keep your promised land, keep your salvation, keep your joys, keep your heaven. 
if I do not have you, what good is the rest of it? Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth I desire nothing beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields produce and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, though everything be stripped away from me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are above all people most to be pitied. Why, brothers and sisters? Because I suffered the loss of all things, that I might gain him and be found in him for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and if I don't get him at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, pity more, pity me more than all the rest. Because our beloved is worthy of this, brothers and sisters. This isn't about you or me. This is about the worth of Jesus Christ, our beloved, and what he is more than any other beloved. And these small examples that we have in Scripture are but faint reflections of his inestimable value. This bride and David and Asaph and Moses and Paul are nothing special. They caught a glimpse of the worth of their beloved. And when we catch that glimpse, brothers and sisters, oh, we will seek him. Oh, we will seek him who is worthy of us. Make no mistake about, us, bro- about it, brothers and sisters, he is everything. And the testimony of the entire scripture is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, when this bride is asked in our text, brothers and sisters, what is your beloved? She doesn't have anything to say about her heartfelt seeking of him. Notice she doesn't set herself as the example. No, she then praises who he is himself. We've seen the bride's example, brothers and sisters, but now consider her exaltation in the worth of her beloved. Verses 10 through 16. Notice first, she does not praise 
Solomon's wisdom, his wealth, his royalty, his great works, his building of the temple for the worship of the people of God. She does not even say, which would be true, that he took me, a poor, fatherless peasant girl, and seated me upon his throne and made me the queen of Israel. All those things, brothers and sisters, worthy of praise. But this text challenges us this morning. Do we know our beloved for who he is? And could we extol the worth of our Jesus apart from what he's done? In our Christianity, is there ever a traveling up the sunbeams into the very heart of the sun himself? Now, is the cross of Jesus Christ the greatest manifestation of the character of God through which we will explore the riches of his grace and praise the lamb who was slain for all of eternity? Yes. Yes, brothers and sisters. Study the gospel. Study the gospel. But just do not miss your Jesus when you do so. Do not miss him. Bride, his work for you is founded upon his love for you and not the other way around. The cross was not one blip. Thank you for doing that, Lord Jesus. And then as though he now has cast us off and has not that selfsame love for us. No, brothers and sisters, it was love from the beginning to the end manifest in his work upon the cross, but he does what he does because of who he himself is. It's who he is, brothers and sisters. Is not that his covenant name? I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He does what he does for his bride because of who he himself is. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Brothers and sisters, in one way, we do not know the first thing about the atonement until we can sing, of course my God should die for me. It is who he is to give himself in love, in love. It is who he is. Do we know who this beloved is? They ask her, what is your beloved more than another beloved? And here at their question, this bride's eyes fully open, she wakes up brothers and sisters from her slumber, and the floodgates of her heart burst forth in praise of her beloved. She extols his worth, not prepared, not premeditated, not recited, but as the most natural expression of her heart for him. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, uh, we are painting these verses with a broad 
brush today. We're not missing the forest for the trees, which is easy to do here in Hebrew poetry. Verse 12, for example, why are the doves bathed in milk? And how does that endear the bridegroom to the daughters? Taking a view for the whole, brothers and sisters, and besides, if I told you everything this morning, you'd have no reason to invite me back another time for more sermons in the song. What is her beloved more than another beloved? Notice, the bride's praise begins and ends with the worth of his whole person. Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. And then she ends his appearance, verse 15, is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. After extolling the worth of his whole person, she then moves from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet in praise. His worth is comprehensive. Every part of him is incomparable. Where else do we see this in scripture? Well, when the Lord desired to impress upon Israel the pervasive nature of their guilt, he invokes the same kind of Hebrew poetry in Isaiah 1, verses 5 and 6, saying, The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Do you see? Israel is altogether wholly diseased from the sole of the foot even to the crown of the head. But for the song, her beloved is altogether worthy, beautiful, glorious, gentle, and sweetness itself. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he is exceedingly incomparable in all of who he is. What is her beloved more than another beloved? Look, brothers and sisters, the bride's praise draws from every sphere of existence under the sun. It takes its imagery from the preciousness of raw nature. Verse 11. His head is the finest gold. It takes its imagery from the beauty of the animal kingdom. 11 and 12. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. The praise takes its imagery from the intimacy of cultivated gardens. Verse 13, his cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are like lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. It takes its imagery, again, from the allurement of skilled craftsmanship and the power of military construction. Verse 14, his arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. 
It takes its imagery from the historic setting of the temple pillars. Verse 15, his legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. And the most preeminent of human industries at that time, his appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars of Lebanon. It is as if this bride is saying, the best of everything under the sun finds its greatest expression in the worth of my beloved. You could take the best things, the greatest things, whether created by God, sculpted by man, you could put them all together and that would be a picture. That would be a picture of how worthy my beloved is, how distinguished he is. Brothers and sisters, see also her praise draws upon the senses of sight Verses 10 through 15, smell, verse 13, touch, also verse 13, and taste, verse 16. He is altogether delightful in every way that she can experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He is altogether desirable, brothers and sisters. What is your beloved more than another beloved? The testimony of the entire Bible is, there is none like him. Nothing you can desire can compare to him. This is our beloved brothers and sisters. See how she concludes, verse 16. His mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Do you want to know, daughters of Jerusalem? Do you want to know who my beloved is? He is all of these worthy things. And yet, he is my friend. He is my close companion. The one whom I go to. Brothers and sisters, that is a very common word, friend, used 187 times elsewhere in the Old Testament. But only once is it upon the lips of the bride. Because when she thinks upon him, brothers and sisters, even in his greatness and majesty and worth, yet she still knows in her heart of hearts, this is the one who befriended her. This is the one. He is her friend. Now, brothers and sisters, as we conclude our time this morning, Please understand that three times in the song, the bridegroom praises his bride in this way, relating each body part to something beautiful and valuable. Very common in Hebrew poetry, but only once does the bride do this for him. 
Indeed, it is very rare in all ancient Near East poetry for the bride to praise her bridegroom at all. Very rare. Now, why is that important to us this morning? Well, because what we have here in the song is unique and extraordinary. It would have arrested the attention of its audience. It would have grabbed hold of those who heard this prize, praise her beloved in this way. They had never heard such a thing as this before. And look at what the daughters of Jerusalem now say, who once questioned the worth of her beloved. Chapter 6, verse 1. Oh, where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? This is the response that God intends for his people, both then and now. The steadfast love of the bridegroom, the stirring account of the bride's repentance and pursuit, the uniqueness of the literature in chapter 5, the heaping of metaphors and imagery and excellencies. God is shaking his sleeping bride. Wake up. Wake up to the worth of your beloved. She responds, where? Where has he gone? And now look at this, church. Look, the bride now suddenly knows exactly, exactly where her beloved has gone. Verse 2. My beloved has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And then look, he standing beside her then speaks. Now think, brothers and sisters, what is he going to say to this woman? You are beautiful as Tirza, my love. Lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners, turn your eyes away from me, for they overwhelm me. This is your beloved more than another beloved, brothers and sisters, and don't miss this. See how beautifully their intimacy is restored. Seemingly out of nowhere, the beloved is there. And everything else disappears. There is no explanation of his presence, no narrative of his coming. There's no real finding of him. And that's on purpose. It's as if this entire nightmare never even happened. The daughters disappear, and the city streets dissolve into a garden oasis. There's no more mention of her seeking, no mention of her humiliation, no mention of her sin. There's only the intimate awareness that I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And his endearing response in grace towards her, you are beautiful to me. 
And don't you see, you can't mess that up, church. There is nothing you can do to flee from that pleased presence of the one who has wed you to himself from all eternity. For all eternity. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong in body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The bride sees that. She sees that now. And one commentator gets it exactly right when he says, the girl's response here is curious and mysterious. It's as though her lover suddenly is no longer lost. Not that he has been found, but rather he has found her. As if her extravagant praise has brought him to her very presence and she relaxes in the knowledge that she really does belong to him and he to her. In one sense, brothers and sisters, her praise brings him near. Scripture testifies to this. And uh, maybe we would say, take these promises to the bank, brothers and sisters. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 13, you are holy enthroned or dwelling in the praises of your people, Psalm 23, uh, 22, 3. And as throughout the Psalms everywhere, the mere remembrance of who God is brings him near and satisfies the hungry soul. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, when I remember you upon my bed. Psalm 63, 5 and 6. This bride's praise brings him near. Her remembrance opens her eyes to see him, to see afresh what her bridegroom is to all the other beloveds. And brothers and sisters, in a more profound sense, Not that he has been found by her, but rather he has found her. You did not choose me, but I chose you. John 15, 16. The testimony of all the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi was that Israel did not seek her beloved, nor count him as worthy as she ought. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. The Lord saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Isaiah 59, 16. This song foreshadows the same salvation. He himself sought his bride and gave her this song to remind her of his love and he himself would bring salvation becoming a man to die in her said and wed her to himself 
in all joy and love and intimacy for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, never lose sight of this, that this song and the marriage of this song and the marriage that you are a part of, brothers and sisters, is happily ever after. It is. It is. Seek your beloved's face, brothers and sisters. Seek his face. Spend yourselves in the greater and greater recognition and reception of his pleased presence, covenant faithfulness, and steadfast love for his bride. We may walk in darkness for a season, brothers and sisters. His face may be concealed. Weeping may tarry for the night. But this is our beloved and this is our friend. He has gone down to his garden. What does that mean, brothers and sisters? Where does she find her beloved at last? How did she know where he had gone? This whole chapter she had been asking others, what does she realize? He had gone down to his garden. In the Song of Solomon, brothers and sisters, she is his garden. She is his garden. And what the author of this song is communicating to us, brothers and sisters, is that she realizes he has never really left her. He has always been there. She lost sight of it. But he was always there. His pleased presence, his committed covenant love abided on her still. The invitation to intimacy which he brought to her door, which she spurned and thought to lose, remains still for her, brothers and sisters, as it does for us. Though we spurn his love, though we find ourselves in seasons of darkness, brothers and sisters, seasons wrestling with sin and temptation, seasons of dryness, seasons of lack of love and affection for our beloved, his invitation, his pleased presence remains still upon his people. He is there all along. There is nothing that she can do to lose him. Nothing wasn't so much her that sought him, but him who has sought her and will not let him go. Brothers and sisters, receive this song as an invitation from your bridegroom. Wherever you find yourself in this chapter, perhaps you are a professing believer who has abandoned your beloved, who has spurned his love, who has departed and pursued your own ends and sin. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, you are earnestly seeking his face. Perhaps you are eagerly desirous of loving him in greater ways and receiving him in greater ways. Perhaps you are visiting. Perhaps you are in the place of the daughters of Jerusalem and are questioning what is so great about this Jesus anyway. Find yourself in this song and be woken up to the worth of this beloved and see him come to you here in the scripture, awaiting your love, pursuing 
your affection and saying to you in this text, my love, my dove, my perfect one, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil bride, for I am with you. I am your chosen portion and your cup. I hold your lot. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places, my bride. Indeed, you have a beautiful inheritance. Though an army should encamp around you, your heart shall not fear. Though war arise against you, yet you will be confident. When your father and mother forsake you, I will take you in cherished bride. I am continually with you. I hold your right hand. Whom have you in heaven but me? And on earth there is nothing you desire besides me. Your heart and your flesh may fail me, bride, but I am the strength of your heart and your portion forever. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Come away with me. Come away. O you who dwell in the garden, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Brothers and sisters, our bridegroom thus invites us to himself this morning. And we close in prayer. O Lord, as the end of this song as the song of songs, as the greatest song concludes, stir our hearts to also say, make haste, our beloved, make haste. Indeed, as the entire scripture concludes, O Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray in his name, amen.